continuing with this series, Confronting a Contradictory Church. That's the series. Confronting a Contradictory Church. Paul is addressing issues in the church, trying to help the Corinthian church, and by extension help us, see places where we are not living in line with what we say we believe. Today I want us to look at chapter 2, verse 1, down to chapter 3, verse 4. And I want to use the title, How to Grow a Mature Church. How to Grow a Mature Church. Let me read our scripture and then I'll pray. Starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or in wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not, I mean, we do speak wisdom, excuse me, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gift of God's spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Let's pray. Again, Father, we come before you 
asking that you would open our hearts and our minds, open our understanding. Help us to see what Paul is uh, trying to say here in his letter to the Corinthians and see how we can apply these things to our own hearts and minds and lives. We ask, Lord, that you would help us uh, to, to grow individually and corporately as a mature church. Help us uh, to be people who reflect the wisdom of Christ and the wisdom of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us to bring us uh, to maturity in Christ so that we, after all of these years, will not remain infants or babes in Christ, but we can become full-grown men and women able to reflect the truth of the gospel. We thank you now for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. How to Grow a Mature Church Some years ago, I had a conversation with Janita about church growth. We were talking about things that we could do as a church that would spread the gospel and as well increase our church's membership. And during the conversation, I jokingly offered a solution. I said that I could buy a bunch of flashy clothes. I could buy an expensive car, preferably a convertible. And then I could Instagram everything that I do all of the food that I eat, everywhere I go, so that people could actually really think that they know me. Okay. Now, when Janita looked at me like I was crazy, I responded, what? Everybody is enamored by celebrities, <laughs> right? Why can't I use this to grow the upper room like everybody else does? Now, of course, I was joking, okay? Um, but the sad truth is that there are a lot of people who do grow their churches this way. They recognize that people are addicted to celebrities and personality cults, so they create these celebrity lifestyles to draw people in. And people are drawn in because they, in some sense, feel that they are vicariously living through these people. How many times have you ever heard people bragging about the type of car their pastor drives? Not the car they drive, but the type of car their pastor drives or where their pastor lives or their pastor flying on private jets. They do this because they feel that they are in some way vicariously living this same kind of lifestyle. And knowing this about our culture, some people use this as a church growth strategy. A few years ago, Janita and I was invited to <laughs> a two-day pastor's conference at a church in Southern Maryland. And a rather big church. The church was packed. And since this church was a large church, rather well-known, I was interested in learning, well, what kind of things does this church do in order to, you know, reach people, grow the church, manage the church? And so we went to this conference and, 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 I got a two-day crash course in meology. Not theology, meology. This pastor talked about himself and all of his stuff for two whole days. He talked about <laughs> he had he had pictures of his private jet, all three of them the two previous ones and his current one, blown up on poster boards and set in the front of the church. 
and he took an hour to talk about how fun it is to fly around in private jets. And he was saying this because he was trying to sell his current jet so he can get a new one. Because, you know, of course, you can't do ministry without a private jet. Right. He, he talks about all of his flashy, expensive clothes and name brand shoes and all of the things that he wears. He talked about how he owned the biggest house in the county. And how his 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 mailbox is so far away, he has to get on his motorcycle to ride to the mailbox to get his mail. <laughs> Then it was lunchtime, and he wanted us, while we took our lunch break, to make sure that we went out the front door of the church to the parking lot to look at his Bentley that someone just so happened to park on the sidewalk while we were in the session. Okay, Check it out. Look at it, see? And so, so during this time, people are standing out there taking selfies in front of the Bentley and, and all kinds of stuff. And I, I'm just like, this is just absurd. <laughs> and then we go back in to the session, and he hits us with the pitch. I can teach you all how to have the same thing. I can teach you all how to grow your church the same way. All you got to do is partner with me, become a part of my network, and I'll train you and show you how to do all of these things, too. (laughs) And guess what? Just like his members, these pastors were attracted to his charisma and his stuff. And now it's offering time. And he said, we got a goal for offering today. We need X amount of dollars. And they put microphones at the top of the aisle. And you had to walk up and say your name, your church, and how much money you were given. Because you know peer pressure works. Okay. And, that, and that's where... Me and Janita exited stage left. I'm like, uh, I done had enough of this conference. <laughs> okay. Because people think that if we have a personality cult, we look a certain way, we dress a certain way, we have certain things, we can draw people in, we can grow our church that way. And people were flocking to sign up to be a part of his network. Some people turn to a different type of strategy to grow their church. The different strategy that they use is they tell people what they want to hear. So recently I have been planning on uh, starting a YouTube channel. Uh, to, <laughs> to, you know, do short videos on you know, about the Bible and things like that. And so someone sent me uh, uh, material of this guy who does a training on uh, teaching Christians how to develop their online presence and gain a following and stuff. So I'm watching the video, and, and of, course he, of course he's selling a, a training. Okay, so I'm, but I'm watching the, the, the initial video, and, and um, it boils down to this. You have to do 
marketing to find out what your target audience wants to hear. And then you do professionally edit videos on those topics and people will flock to your channel. And when I watch his videos, I say, yeah, that's true. He has a, over 500,000 people on his channel watching his videos millions of times and, and it's, it's professionally edited. He talks about topics, but then I notice there's a lot of topics that he doesn't talk about. <laughs> okay. Because you tell people what they want to hear and then they flock to you. Kind of like what Paul says, there will come a time where people have itching ears and they will heap to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. There's only one problem with these two methods. Neither one of these methods are proper ways to grow a mature church. Let me say that. They can be used to grow a church, but you cannot use these methods in order to grow a mature church. The church is neither a personality cult, nor is it a self-help group. These methods are rooted in the world's wisdom, and at best, they can bring people together um, in a church, but you will have a church full of immature believers. Now, in contrast to this, Paul teaches us in this passage of Scripture how to grow a mature church, and that is to give people a consistent diet of the wisdom of God that is demonstrated in the cross of Christ and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at verses one through, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In these verses, I think Paul has given us his philosophy of ministry, right? How does Paul view ministry? How are you supposed to do ministry? He is telling us his guiding principles on how he approached ministry to the church of Corinth. In essence, he says that he did not make it about himself or the Corinthians. He made his ministry all about Jesus Christ. Now, listen again what he says in verses one through five. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or in wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that the reason that he does ministry this way, so that your faith does not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now, we know that prior to Paul coming to Corinth, he did ministry in Athens. And we know that in Athens, Paul went into the Agora or the marketplace and uh, he debated with people in the marketplace. And in Athens, because they were big on Greek philosophy, Paul quoted Greek philosophers and Greek poets in order to engage with these people during this debate. And by and large, we know that when Paul did this, his ministry in Athens was not very successful. <laughs> and so now Paul is moving on. He's coming to Corinth and he says, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul could have continued moving on um, with, with trying to reach people through things that they were interested in, 
Um, and, and, and I think in some sense, um, contextuality has its place. I'll explain that in, in a second. Um, but Paul wanted to make sure he kept the main thing the main thing. Paul could have done the same thing in Corinth that he did in Athens since the Corinthians were attracted to a group of people called sophists, right? People who thought that they were, they were wise, they were good orators, they were, they were skilled at being able to, to grab a crowd and pull them in, okay? So Paul could have, have reached out to the Corinthians in this same way, but he decided that he was not going to use human methods, ideas, or topics that would have been familiar to the Corinthians in order to attract them to Christ. He would use Christ himself to convince them of the truth of the gospel. He was going to make Jesus Christ the center of his message and his ministry, not the Corinthians. He wanted to make sure that the Corinthians did not take first place. Jesus remained first place. Now, uh, people don't know how tempting <laughs> this really is, okay? Um, pastors pretty much know how to, how to draw a crowd of people, right? It, it's just, we know human nature, and so it's, it's easy for us to, to use these things in order to just fill up um, the church. But that's not the right thing to do. It is not the right thing to draw a, uh, a crowd because you're not going to be able to move people on to being healthy, um, I remember when I uh, first started church and uh, people were so excited about about coming to, to church. Something's new and fresh and and and, and we were full all the time okay. and people were just excited. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 the topics and the conversations. I remember early on we did the series on relationships. Right. And um, and people were inviting other people. We had people from other churches. <laughs> right. And every single seat in this building was full every single Sunday for an entire year. OK. Now, I had a game plan, though. Right. And and, and and to this day, 12 years later, only a handful of people have already have figured out what my game plan is. OK. So um, they're texting me like, you remember I was looking at my notes. We talked about this back. And I said, yeah, yeah, you you, you figured it out. Like, I talk about. I rotate through topics, ideas from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you know, given theological things, given practical things. But every single time I take it a little bit deeper. OK, because I'm trying to move you from, as we'll see, Paul says, from milk to meat. Okay. I remember after we finished the uh, this series on relationships, um, Sunday by Sunday, we had fewer and fewer people. Because I switched to talking about discipleship and your responsibilities, what you need to be doing. Okay. And I remember one person came up to me and <laughs> said, Pastor, I don't like these new things that you're talking about. I'm not coming back until you switch topics. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, we'll pop in every once in a while, you know. And they popped in, they still ain't like it, so they ain't been back. Okay. Because we like talking about certain topics tell me about relationships tell me about money tell me about you know how you know that guy who hurt me god gonna get him back okay 
right? We, we love talking about certain topics, but we don't want to hear about discipleship. I remember this article I read around the time we started the church and this guy was saying that uh, his strategy is like, you know, he rotates topics and things. And, and so he, he gives very light, practical things. And he notices during those times his church fills up. Everybody comes to church. And then uh, he says immediately when he recognizes that the members of his church gets comfortable, he starts preaching through the Gospels. Right. And so and he notices that as he preaches through the Gospels, the crowd thins out again. Because Jesus is, is hitting you with, if you love your mother and father more than me, you aren't worthy of me. Let the dead bury the dead. Right? And so all of the re- requirements of discipleship, and people are like, well, I'm not for all that. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I, dev- I developed that same strategy, right? Uh, we work on things that's practical, that's relatable, but then we got to go back to, we have responsibilities before God. We have requirements. So it would be great and easy to develop a ministry centered around people's wants and needs and desires. But you cannot grow people to spiritual maturity in this way. I remember when we were prepping for this in Bible study, we talked to about this in Bible study, I, I told you all, I remember having a conversation with a family member, actually, and we were talking about um, a, a pastor's, a, a church that was started uh, on the west side, and and um, people were flocking to the church, and, and everyone said, see, this is great, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that's going to last, I don't think it's going to go too well, no, look, this person is reaching people on the street corners, they reaching people that nobody else was reaching, look, look, they had a pool party, look how many people from the streets came to the pool party, I said, people came to the pool party because there were girls walking around in thongs (laughs) at the church pool party, and they played all secular music, no gospel, you could bring in unsaved people like that all the time, but you can't grow them. And now all these years later, we see the fruit of, of all of that. I'm not mentioning any names. We have had some people leave our church and go other churches because they feel that they need more of an experience during praise and worship. And it is tempting uh, to, to give people what they want. It's common knowledge, most people don't know, but it, it's common knowledge among church leaders that, that th- for many churches, the greatest portion of their budget does not go to the pastor. It goes to the praise and worship team, the music ministry. Because everyone knows that the way you draw people in church is through the music ministry. And Honestly, music ministries in church is a racket. They know. I know people that, oh, I need this amount of money. I'm like, we can't afford it. You got to find it. Or I'm going to have to go to another church. And, I, and, and churches are, are, are bidding up the price trying to get people in because they know that if you have a great fine arts ministry, you have the mood lighting, you have the graphics on the screen, you have the music playing, you're going to bring the crowds in. Check out any church conference, check out the biggest churches 
they have the best music. I remember we went to Atlanta one time, and uh, went to we had some friends in Atlanta. We went to ch- um, went to church with them, and um, and we were talking about their church, and then it's like, oh yeah, well on Saturdays we have rehearsal. I said re- rehearsal. They're like, yeah, we, everybody comes to church and we rehearse the church service. So they have all of the musicians, the dancers, the everybody that's going to do something, the pastor. Everybody comes in and we do a mock church service practicing the service so that when we have it on Sunday, it's just right for everybody when they come in. And a lot of churches do that. It's a great way to, dr- to grow a church. It's not authentic. <laughs> And you can't grow mature believers in that way. Now, I could do the same thing. I could spend a whole bunch of money hiring the greatest praise and worship team that we can afford. Okay. And and, and I'm certain that we would bring a lot of people in. But guess what? They wouldn't be very mature because they aren't coming for the word. They're coming for the music. They're drawn by their senses And so in order to keep them, you have to keep giving them sensual things. And this is Paul's point. We have to keep Christ at the center of our ministry and our message. Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Our message has to be about Jesus all the time. Now, again, contextualization um, has its place. And when we say contextualization, what we mean is that you use illustrations, examples, and things like that that people can relate to. Okay. If I, you know, came in and started talking to you all about, you know, the last time I, you know, led some sheep through the pastures, you're like, I understand. I've never, I, I can't relate to that. Yeah. So I have to use illustrations and examples. I have to contextualize it so that you can understand what David meant when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay. That has its place, right? That is helping the people to understand the message. It is not changing the message. It is not tailoring the message to only things people want to hear. Everybody got me? Contextualization has its place, but the message must remain to be about Jesus. The church doesn't exist to be a social group where people can come and hang out. The church exists to teach people about Jesus. The sermon does not exist to teach people self-help principles. It does not exist to teach you how to have better relationships. <laughs> okay. The sermon is about pointing you to Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a place where you can socialize, If you learn about how to have better relationships, all of those things are great. But that's not the purpose of the church. The focus needs to be on Christ. Everybody with me? (laughs) The one thing that frustrates me the most before I move on is, I, I have to say this, is this one thing it really makes me want to quit every time I hear it, th- this phrase. It makes me feel like I have wasted the last 12 years of my life. 
And every time I, I hear this phrase, it just does something to me inside. I, 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 don't, I don't curse, but, but this phrase brings me very close to it. <laughs> okay. When, when a member of the upper room says, Pastor, I understand everything you are saying about the word, but can you just give me some practical things that can help me in the real world? I just want to go off. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just want to go. I just want I just want to I just want to shake them. <laughs> I'm like, have you I'd be like, Jesus, have you not been with me all this time? <laughs> right. Like you. You just completely missed the whole thing. <laughs> I just want to I want to shake them and say. The all-wise king of the universe gave you his son, gave you his spirit, gave you his word, and has given you all his spiritual riches that Peter even says you have everything that you need for life and godliness. He has given you all of these things, but you want me (laughs) to give you something better to help you out in the real world. I just want to quit. I'm like, this ain't going to work. I'm wasting my time. (laughs) Everything that we need is found in Christ. Everything that we need is found in Christ. This is the one thing that I have been trying to, to get across to you all for the last 12 years is Jesus is all that you need. Jesus is all that you need. The gospel is not good just to get you into heaven. (laughs) Okay. God did not pay your ticket to heaven and then say, all right, now figure it out the rest of your life on your own. God has given us everything that we need, as Peter says, for life and for godliness. Jesus is the solution to your relationship problems. Jesus is the solution to your financial problems. Jesus is the solution to America's race problems. Jesus is the solution to every problem because the root of every problem is sin. And God has dealt with all of our sins in Christ. And then he has given us an example to follow. That's why Paul's focus was solely on Jesus. He even does the same thing in this letter. The first four chapters, Paul is addressing the conflicts and division in the church. And he doesn't he doesn't address the conflict by saying, y'all knock it off. Okay. He addresses the conflict in the church by pointing them back to the cross and how God brought them into relationship through the cross and how Jesus' example on the cross should be their example to follow in dealing with conflicts in the church. Everybody see that? That the solution to all of our problems is found in Christ. 
Now, Paul tailors his message and his preaching style in such a way that he does not detract from Christ. Look what he says in verse four. He says, my speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now, I could I could give you, you know, when people want practical things to help in the real world, I could give you some self-help books, you know, where they Christianize uh, Buddhist principles, right, or New Age philosophy or psychology. I could point you to those things, right? Um, I could, uh, I don't know why people ask me these things. I, I, I could point you to your zodiac sign, you know, so you could look up your horoscopes and, and, uh, and see what you should do in certain circumstances. I don't know why people ask me those things. What do you think about my, you know, my horoscope? I don't think anything about that. <laughs> I don't think nothing about you. People ask, what's your zodiac sign? I don't even know what my zodiac sign is. I don't believe in that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know which side my sign is. Okay. All right. Um, I, I could tell you to look in your mirror every day and just say those affirmations. I am beautiful. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> right. I, I could tell you to do those things every single day, but guess what I will be doing? I will be teaching you to put your faith in the wisdom of man and not in the power of God. You, 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 you can speak to yourself in the mirror every single day. You cannot speak things into existence. The reason you have to keep saying those affirmations over and over and over again is because you know in your heart they are not true. <laughs> you know, I, I watch these people, you want to be rich? You just get up and just keep telling yourself, and you're going to pursue it, you'll be chasing it. Listen, that's why you broke. Because you keep paying all of these people to tell you nonsense. When the truth is, you need to stop eating at McDonald's every day and then save your money. <laughs> okay? That you don't get rich by. So just sow a seed into me, and God's going to drop it on you. Okay, well, he's dropping it on you with my paycheck. Well, I could, I could drop it in my own account. For all that matter, right? Right? We, we, all of these things is teaching you to put your trust in man's wisdom and not in the power of God. Maturity comes from recognizing that all we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. That's why we keep Jesus as the central focus of everything because all of our issues are addressed in Christ. Let's keep moving on. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that you must recognize the only true source of wisdom. You must recognize the only true source of wisdom. And Paul goes on to say this in verses 6 through 16. Paul is not denigrating all wisdom. Okay. He's not denigrating all wisdom. He's only denigrating the wisdom of the world. He is advocating for a different kind of wisdom, and that is the wisdom of God. This wisdom 
is a wisdom that the world and its rulers cannot comprehend, a wisdom that is only given by God's spirit. Real quick, look, look what he says in verse six. He says, yet among the mature, we do, we do speak wisdom, though not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, Paul here is saying that I'm not saying that I don't speak wisdom. I do speak wisdom. And this wisdom, only mature people can understand. This wisdom cannot be understood by the rulers of this age. And as I said, in Bible study, the rulers of this age is not referring to human wisdom, um, human uh, uh, um, people like Pilate who crucified Christ. It is referring to demonic forces. OK, so Paul is saying that this wisdom, God's wisdom is secret and it is hidden. It cannot even be understood by Satan and demons, because if they understood God's wisdom, they would have never hung Jesus on the cross. Because in, cru in crucifying Jesus, he totally, God totally destroyed the power of Satan. Okay. Now, I want us to uh, notice here that Paul is speaking about wisdom. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, today is, where can we find this wisdom? Everyone is promising us some form of wisdom. Right. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of books written every single year in the world. Right. A everyone's promising us some form of wisdom. Some everybody is a guru on something. OK. Uh, but where can we find true wisdom? The problem is that. Paul says here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives this wisdom, but the Holy Spirit isn't given any new revelations today so where do we find this wisdom i want you to notice really quickly how many times paul refers to 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 words okay words and of course i didn't add those in let me pull up my own my real bible this one first corinthians chapter one look at how many times he talks about words? Verse one, he says, um, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words, but with demonstration of power of the spirit so that your um, faith does not rest on human wisdom or in the power of God. Verse 13, he says, and we speak of these things in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. So notice that Paul says that the wisdom of God comes from the spirit and that the Holy Spirit teaches the words that communicates that wisdom. Okay. Now, again, since the Holy Spirit is not giving us any new words, okay, now some people are still getting words from the Holy Spirit. Um, 
That, that's questionable, okay? But since the Holy Spirit is not giving us any new words, where do we find this wisdom? We find this wisdom in the Bible. God has communicated to us his wisdom. It comes from his spirit, and it has been enshrined in Scripture for us today. So as we read God's word daily, and as we hear God's word preached weekly, we gain God's wisdom, and we also grow in spiritual maturity. Maturity is not gained in outward displays of the spirit, right? So speaking in tongues, dancing when they play the organ, right? That, that's not spiritual maturity, okay? <laughs> it is not gained by your title in church, you know? Well, I'm a minister, so I'm spiritually mature. I'm a deacon, so I'm spiritually mature. I, I'm this, so I'm spiritually mature. That is not a sign of spiritual maturity. Maturity is gained through the discernment that is gained by spending time in God's word. And that's what Paul says in verses 13 through 16. Paul says in verses 13 through 16. Right. He says that they discern spiritual words, they interpret spiritual words to spiritual people, right? So this is, again, why I, I'm, I'm consistently always talking to you about getting the word, getting the word. People are like, oh, I know, I know, you're getting the word. You know, oh, it's January. What, what are you supposed to do? Oh, he wants to start a new Bible reading plan, okay, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get you, get you in the word, okay? There's nothing more practical that I can tell you to do to fix any problem you have other than get in the word. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is where God tells you what you should do. When people say, I'm just going to fast and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show me something. How are you going to know when the Holy Spirit is speaking? You want a certain outcome. You just going to wait to hear for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. God told me that. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like, and then when you're like, well, what did God tell you? And I'm like, well, that contradicts all of this right here in the word. <laughs> Somebody told me, well, sometimes God tells me things that contradicts the Bible. I said, he ain't speaking to you. <laughs> right? No. The way we know the Holy Spirit is speaking is that he will confirm it through something in his word. And if what you think God is saying contradicts the word, God has not said that. So I'm Bible reading plan. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. I don't care if it's one verse, if it's one chapter, whatever. You get in the word every single day. Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible. We come to Bible study, and our Bible study is not just a Sunday sermon on Wednesday, <laughs> right? And that's, I just, I just don't get it. Like, we in Bible study, and then they be preaching. <laughs> and it was like, I, I thought we was in Bible study. I, I, didn't, I didn't want a sermon. That's why I came to Bible study, <laughs> you know? Can I ask a question? No, because this is a, ha, we preaching, we preaching. I'm like, like, well, when do we ask questions, <laughs> you know? So, for, so when we come for Bible study, like, we really d do Bible study. And, I, and people be bored in Bible study. They be like, 
oh, I don't even want to know how to learn the Bible. I just want to ask the question. You tell me. And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach you how to study for yourself, right? So that, that you can read the word and, and God can speak to you because he speaks to, contrary to what people believe, I don't have a special line to heaven. He'd be like, people are like, I'm, I want you to pray because I know God listen to you. He listened to all of us. He, you're his child too, right? And he wants to speak to you. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to get you in the word. Listen to what the Bible says about itself. This is what Paul says. Colossians 3.16, real quick, I'll read this to you. Why it is so important for us to get into the word and why there's nothing more practical that I can give you than to say, get into God's word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your heart, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Listen to uh, what God says to Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse five. No one shall stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you. For you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous be careful to act in accordance with all the law. So obey the law, what God says, his word, that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Okay, I know that I did that wrong. Right hand or to the left. <laughs> okay, right? So obey the word. Don't turn from the word to the right or to the left. Stay straight on the word so that you may be successful wherever you go obey the word don't turn from the word to the right or to the left stay straight on the word you will be successful wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth you shall meditate on it day and night so that okay what what happens so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it for then after you have meditated on the word day and night, then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. Give me something practical, Pastor. Read the word <laughs> and you will be prosperous and successful. Okay. Last one, Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in their season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. You love God's word. You meditate on it day and night. You're like a tree planted by rivers of water. You're prosperous. Your leaves don't wither in the drought. In the pandemic, everybody else is struggling. Oh, I'm going to pay my bills. Oh, Lord, I ain't get my stimulus check yet. What am I going to do? But you've read the book of Proverbs. And it says you need to store up money against bad times. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess I just had to dip into my savings. <laughs> okay. Right. And then you check for your stimulus check <laughs> to put it back. <laughs> I'm just joking. But listen, he says, he says, the wicked are not so. They don't love God's law. They don't meditate on God's law day and night. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
right? So it's like the 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 dirt left over from when they when they um um sifting wheat, okay? The chaff, the wind just blows them away. They aren't rooted, they aren't anchored. They're just blowing all over the place all the time. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand uh, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the wicked, the way of the wicked shall perish. So again, the most practical thing to do is get in God's word and he will tell you, he will lead you. You will understand what to do when it comes to your finances, relationships and all of those other things without me saying, oh, yeah, go get a Yonla's new book. And get that new age religion. <laughs> OK, and I know some people are like, oh, I love a Yonla fix my life. I love that show. OK, new age. She even talking about Jesus sometime now. I said, when she starts talking about Jesus? And then the rest of the stuff, I'd be like, she ain't talking about the same Jesus I know. <laughs> okay. Listen, I know I'm one minute over my time. Here you go. Verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Okay. Here's what Paul wants us to see. Because remember, I want you all to understand chapters 1 through 4, Paul is talking about one subject. He's talking about division in the church. He's talking about the conflict that the members are having with one another. Okay. And so he, he, he gives us the, the, a theology. We saw this in chapter one. We saw this, see this in chapter two. He gives us his theology that he needs us to understand. Then he brings it right back to how this applies to the conflict in the church. So listen to what he says in uh, here, right? He says, and so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For as long as there are, is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Paul is telling us here what maturity actually looks like. Some people think uh, that they are mature because of how long they have been in church. I've been a Christian 50 years. I'm like, hmm. I'm like, you've been a teenager for 50 years? Are you a spiritual adolescent? <laughs> okay. Okay. Some people think that they are mature because of how many Bible verses they have memorized or how much theology they know. Okay. Some people think that they are mature because of the position that they hold. But here, Paul gives us a correct standard of measurement for what true spiritual maturity is. And that is, how well do you get along with other Christians? In other words, spiritual maturity is not found in head knowledge or titles. It is found in how well we apply what we know. Now, the Corinthian church thought that they were very, spiritual, very mature because they knew so much philosophy. Okay? And they thought that they were spiritually mature because of all of the spiritual gifts that they had. Right? Paul never knocks them when they were speaking tongues or any of these things. He didn't knock them for those things. Okay? Well, but don't think that you're mature because you can speak in tongues. Okay. Paul says, what good is this maturity if it does not heal the conflicts in the church? 
What good is speaking in tongues and falling out on the floor when they play the organ and then you get up and walk past somebody that you don't like in church? Your spiritual maturity isn't good for that. <laughs> if there's still jealousy among you, if there's still fighting among you, are you not of the flesh? Now, here Paul is, is saying, we talked about this in Bible study. I'm not going to go over it. I'm here, but he talks about three groups of people, right? Um, he talks about those who are unspiritual. He says that those people cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, right? They do not understand it. He's referring to unsaved people. Okay. But then he talks about those who are um, um, uh, spiritual and those who are carnal, right? Here, or in, in this version, he says those who are of the flesh, okay? The people, the Christians who are carnal, those people who are of the flesh, right? They exhibit all the characteristics of, to use Paul's words, infants. They think they are mature, but they still fight all the time. They still have conflict in the church. Oh, I, I, I know all of these Bible verses, Pastor. I done memorized all of the catechisms. Boy, I came to church and somebody was sitting in my seat. Oh, it's about to be a problem in here. It's going to be the thriller in Manila. Because you know how church people are about their seats. Maturity is not about what you know. It is not about your position. It is not about theology or any of those things those things are important but maturity is about how you apply what you know and Paul's point is if there's always conflict in the church you have not grown up yet regardless of what you know regardless of what gifts you have you have not grown to spiritual maturity he says I wanted to give you some good meat, but all I can do is stick a bottle in your mouth because <laughs> you can't handle it because you haven't grown up yet. Now, I'm, I, I, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing in work, working my way through this, I said in, in, in Bible study that I really have two goals here, right? Um, what I'm trying to get us to see as we walk our way through 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4 is I, I, I want you to see Paul is addressing practical issues, okay? First Corinthians is, is, is Paul's practical, mo most practical, practical letter, okay? He's addressing issues in the church. He's addressing conflict. He's addressing in, um, in, in chapter 5. Um, he starts to address, you know, uh, sexual immorality. Um, he addresses um, people in the church suing each other. Uh, at the end of chapter 6, he starts to tell people, can y'all stop going to the prostitutes, uh, right? Chapter 7, he's addressing, you know, marriage and, and some people thinking that they were so spiritual that they did not um, um, need to have intimacy with their spouse anymore because they were too spiritual for that. Uh, he's addressing all of these things in the church, okay? But the way, this is the second thing what I'm trying to get you to see, is the way Paul addresses these practical things is by bringing us back to our core theology. 
the cross of Christ, the lordship of Christ, God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit, right? If when we are rooted and grounded in the core things of our faith and we live those things out consistently, it gives us the guiding principles on how we're supposed to handle the practical things in our lives. And, and when we when we when we put those things together, sometimes people will call them, you know, orthodoxy, right? What we believe and orthopraxy, meaning how we practice what we believe when, when these things are integrated together. That's how we know we are spiritually mature. And we can, you know, we, we progress in our spiritual walk. So I'm, I'm trying to get us to, to see those see these things as we work our way uh, through this book. particularly in chapters one one through four, because Paul is addressing the same topic. And it's easy for us to see how he's addressing. He gives us theology. This is how it applies to the conflict. Theology, how it applies to the conflict. So we can see the solution to every single problem is Christ. And when we learn how to to understand, right? He says we how we gain discernment, right? He talks about discernment, interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people, right? As we gain this discernment of who Christ is, what he has done for us, and how that applies to every single one of our lives, we become spiritually mature. They want to see that. Every situation that you face. Jesus is the solution. We just have to learn how to apply the gospel and the word to those situations. We see that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for allowing us to be able to study your word. Lord, all of us are going through so many different things, and and we all don't even know what each one are going through. We see one another on a, on a weekly basis, but there's no way for us to know exactly what each person is going through. But, but you know, you're there with us. You walk with us everywhere we go. And you have given us your word to address all of these things. Even though your word doesn't talk about every single uh, issue that we may face, we can dig into your word and find principles that we can apply to every circumstance. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn the same thing Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians, that that the cross of Christ and Jesus as our Lord, when we fully understand the full implication of the gospel, it must affect every single aspect of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your wisdom by your spirit. As we read your word and study your word and meditate on your word and memorize your word day in and day out throughout our lives, I pray that you would teach us how to apply your word to every circumstance we face, Lord. We want to be full-grown men and women in Christ. We don't want to be babes in Christ any longer. We don't want to, to exhibit jealousies and quarreling and all of those things. We want to grow up. so that we can reflect the truth of the gospel to the world. Lord, we know that we will all fail. We know that we won't become perfect. We'll all struggle with things, but you are not asking us to be perfect. You're asking us to be mature. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to to see that that is the goal, not perfection, but maturity. 
And I pray that we will pursue that maturity every day of our lives, knowing that we'll never 100% get there, but we will pursue it until the day we see you face to face. And then we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you now for all these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.